Hello and welcome to episode number three of the Modern Classrooms podcast. I am Kareem Farah. I'm the co-founder and executive director of the Modern Classrooms Project. And I'm joined by my friend and Modern Classrooms head of teaching and learning, Kate Gaskill. I met Kate four years ago at Eastern High School where this actual model was born. She was one of our first pilot fellows. She quickly became by far one of our best implementers. To this day, I think she ran a significantly better class than I could ever run. <laughs> her, edu- her history classroom was featured in our Edutopia video. Uh, she now runs teaching and learning at the Modern Classrooms Project. Kate, can you go ahead and introduce yourself? Just share a little bit more about your background, your experience with our work. Thanks, friend. Um, hey, everybody. As Kareem mentioned, I am a proud former DC public school history teacher. I'm also the daughter of a 41-year public school teacher veteran. My mom just retired last year. Um, it was very hard to leave my classroom. I miss kids every day, but I'm really loving my new job with Modern Classrooms. Um, I think of myself as a professional thought partner for teachers across the country. And this is such a unique moment for educators right now. So it's uh, been a it's been a true privilege to hear what teachers are sharing and asking right now. And I think you speak for everyone at the organization. We're proud to say that no one works at the Modern Classrooms Project who actually hasn't spent multiple years in the classroom as a teacher. So we all miss our kids daily. We talk about it all the time. Yep. Um, it is it is something I miss every single day. Today, uh, we really want to spend today's podcast kind of talking about the gravity of the moment. I think the reality is every single educator across the country right now is dealing with a lot of stress and anxiety, trying to work through this whole virtual hybrid classroom model. Stress is high. The outlook for the future remains uncertain. And Kate and I wanted to talk a little bit about what we're seeing, what we're hearing. I think a lot of times there's comfort that we derive from knowing that other people across the country and even the world are sharing our concerns and sharing our struggles and also kind of frame the consistent challenges that we're seeing and contextualize how our work can at at times be helpful, but at times, frankly, not because there's just really no easy answer. Um, So, Kate, can you talk a little bit about what you're hearing and seeing from teachers nationwide and worldwide. I mean, you obviously have a really cool look as the head of teaching and learning at the Modern Classrooms Project. You know, we have yeah. a ton of educators that we're supporting. What What are you capturing in your time working with teachers? It's a good question. Um, I really like this job because I feel like a sponge <laughs> where I'm just soaking up resources and questions um, from the teachers that I'm talking to every day. And I work with teachers across the country currently, um, everything from the teachers in our fellowship program to our scholarship program, our virtual mentorship program. um, And that's anywhere from individual teachers who sign up um, to entire school districts who uh, have teachers opt in to our professional development. So we're really, we're getting a very interesting pulse check on where educators across the country are. Yes, we are. And I mean, I think what's, what's been fascinating is sort of seeing the consistency among educators' concerns, right? It's not like, you know, a lot of times when we had been working with teachers pre-COVID, every single local community was so, so different and every challenge was so, so different. And that's still the case now. I mean, some schools are going hybrid, some schools are going full virtual, some schools are going full in person. But I actually think the struggles that folks are worried about are fairly consistent across the board. Yeah. Um, And I think that's really, really important to think about. So, Let's talk specifically about the springtime when COVID broke, because I think it's really, really important to, to draw a distinction, right, between, you know, kind of the emergency schooling, the crisis schooling that had to happen in the spring when, frankly, all of us, with the exception of a small few, had no idea that schools were actually going to close and we were going to go into this sort of lockdown environment. 
Um, so talk a little bit about, A, your experience, because we know you were actually a teacher at the time. You weren't the head of teaching and learning at the Modern Classroom mm-hmm. Project. So what was like, your experience trying to kind of stomach the blows of that challenge? <laughs> and then sort of what you were also hearing from colleagues and your peers. Yeah, um, I can. I think I can echo most teachers when I say that the shift to crisis schooling or emergency remote teaching, it was humbling and hard uh, for many reasons. As a modern classrooms teacher, I I certainly had a distinct advantage. I'm comfortable in making high quality instructional videos for my kids and my students were accustomed to moving through a unit of study at their own pace. They were very used to finding me in an instructional video, accessing content through Canvas. So that was was an advantage. Um, But the shift to remote teaching was emergency remote teaching was incredibly difficult because even though my students had accessed direct instruction through videos during our time in the physical classroom together, I was always working with kids at what I called my nest, like my center table. Um, I was always pulling kids one-on-one, small group, giving feedback on a mastery check. So not having these daily instantaneous check-ins was very difficult. Um, I wasn't able to see kids, hug kids, gauge how they were doing based on body language and facial expressions. Um, And I also, I served students in D.C. public schools, which is a very diverse district with varying language traditions and socioeconomic experiences. So my school worked very hard to ensure that our kids had the technology uh, that they needed. But, uh, you know, we were we were pivoting, you know, (laughs) on a dime, it felt. So there were definitely still gaps. Um, My grade level team, shout out to my 10th grade team at Eastern we tried really hard to do check-ins um, with our students and encourage them to make a schedule for themselves. But we saw how, like most teenagers, our students were really struggling with some of these important executive functioning skills when they were now released to be on their own. Um, and then, of course, we were and remain in the midst of a pandemic and economic recession that's disproportionately impacting people of color. So there were some really heartbreaking situations that young people and their families were and are facing. Um, Educators at my school, you know, while we were definitely still the teacher of record or the school counselor, we had those academic roles. We were shifting to making face masks and delivering face masks, buying and bringing groceries. Um, emergency, emergency remote teaching last spring was humbling because I was someone who I think I was used to feeling kind of good at my job. And I usually had a pulse check on my students. Um, and I, I lost that feeling with the swift and dramatic school closure. It was, it was really hard. Right. And I mean, you know, I, I think what's so important about what you just described is, is a couple of things. First, I mean, you don't need to take it from anyone else, but just knowing that I've been in your classroom so many times and how incredible of an educator you are, to know that you were struggling during that time a lot um, and you were a true master of the modern classrooms model, which I think is one of the best models out there right now to handle this challenge, right? So you throw in all that, right? You got a great educator with 100% comfortability with the modern classrooms model. And it's still so, so difficult to figure out how to navigate that space, right? So I think it points to just like the larger picture, right? Which is that there is no easy solution to the moment. And, you know, I tell folks all the time, like, don't be sort of intimidated by the litany of success stories. You know, like, I, I think you can like go on social media, you can hear talks and, and you kind of like 
hear people describe effective distance learning and you start to think like, why isn't my classroom like that? And the reality is very few people's classrooms are like that. And I actually question whether any are like that. And I think you also bring up another huge point, which is like, there's just no way to replace being in person with your students. Oh like, my goodness. Model is an in-person model. Yeah. Right? Like, I, I got, I got a little offended when someone said to me something like, Oh, this is, it's a, it's a misconception about the the modern classrooms model that, oh, we put kids on videos and then we never talk to them, which couldn't be further from the truth. Somebody said something to me like, oh, well, this is no different for you, right? This distance learning. And I just wanted to look at them and think, are you like, I went into that building every day. I was working with kids one-on-one every day. Um, yes, this is dramatically different. Right. And, you know, we, I was just got off the phone with some teachers in Missouri and we were just talking about how, you know, the toughest thing to do in distance learning is being able to make the necessary pivots to students' needs around small group and individualized instruction. That is what you do all day long as a great teacher. Oh, you don't understand that? Let's talk about it. The notion that you can't do that suddenly, like that's literally like I, you either have to send an email or tag a Google comment or schedule a Zoom call. Like, that barrier to communication, that barrier to quote unquote intervention support discussion is massive. Yep, exactly. It, it just, there's no way to, to really replace it in the distance space. I think there are ways to improve it, right? There's structures you can create. And then a lot of times, one of the things I hear oftentimes in, in my position where I kind of think a little bit, I sometimes, you know, are working with district leaders and folks like that. And so often people are looping in like, but people have doing, been doing online education for ages. And it's like, Yes, but that comes with a totally different approach to teaching and learning, right? It's a totally different framework. Teachers have different structures for caseloads. They have different programs. Parents and students come into the program because they selected online education. So it's a false comparison, right? Just because there have been online schools going on, that's not the same thing as converting a brick-and-mortar building with teachers who have been teaching in a brick-and-mortar environment and say, oh, in three months, we can just become online schools. So you know, that's also an important distinction that I saw. You know, one of the things from my perspective, because I wasn't in the classroom, right? Like I was running the modern classrooms. And what I noticed that was so interesting was as soon as schools closed down, I immediately got messages from fellows like yourself and and your colleagues and the folks that we had trained. And and everyone said, look, like this isn't great, but we're all right. Yeah. Which I think really kind of is a good summary of what the model does for you. It's like, yeah, makes things feel a little bit more certain than they are. And then they said, look, like, what can we give our colleagues who have never been exposed to this model? How can we empower them um, with the skills? And I think that's why we hit the ground running. We really strengthened our free online course. We built our virtual mentorship program just to be like, look, teachers, like across the country and the world, please like have access to our resources. Try to figure this out um, because we know how difficult it is. And even for the people who are masters at it, it's still incredibly difficult. So I think it's important. Yes. You know, what I do think is important to kind of draw a comparison, though, is like, okay, so what's different now versus what was happening then? And and it's, you know, there's differences and there's plenty of things that are very similar, obviously. But I, I think there is a distinction, right, between this moment where folks have been through what was such an overwhelming time, the summer came around, and now we're going back into buildings. Now, the odd thing is, I don't think there's all that much more certainty around the future, right? Like, People, I think, were hoping that maybe everyone would go back in person. Things would be better, getting better. 
around sort of the virus and all that kind of stuff. And we're sort of in a situation where I think schools and districts across the country are, are handling this in a localized way, but it's very different, but very few places are remotely close to normal. So what um, what are you seeing now? Like, what are you, have you observed from a differences and similarity standpoint? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think I'm sensing from the teachers I talk to, um, the summer has given a greater sense of confidence with some of the tech tools that they will be using, uh, ranging from their learning management systems, so Canvas, Google Classrooms, et cetera, um, to the ed tech tools that help them build and enhance instructional videos. Um, I, I think that, that that's a surge of confidence that we've seen over the summer. I think the teachers I'm talking to are really thinking through how to create an equitable online class with elements of synchronous and asynchronous learning. And they're they've had time to think through those, what to a non-teacher might seem like a small detail, like how will my students take notes? But any teacher knows those small things are absolutely critical to student learning. Um, and this summer has given teachers opportunities to think through, bounce ideas off of other teachers, um, just the practices and procedures that that make student learning more possible. Um, so last spring was really crisis teaching. And now hopefully this summer has given us an opportunity to pivot to more effective remote instruction. Uh, what I'm hearing though, in terms of um, some frustrations that continue, interestingly enough, I think they were frustrations that always existed. And this August pre-service time has just magnified these seemingly perennial frustrations, mainly around systems outside of their control, um, outside of teacher control at the district and state level. Right. I was talking to a teacher just a few minutes ago. Um, I talked I talk to teachers, so many teachers who are frustrated with last minute changes to grading policies, last minute changes a school district makes with learning management systems or simply delayed decisions and poor communication from higher ups in their states or districts. Um, I think that that is, those were always really hard in August, um, those August surprises, but with all the unknown and um, kind of, I think, you know, fragility, we're all feeling a little bit around the virus um, and the recession. It's, it's magnified now. Another trend I'm seeing is the teachers I talk to now more than ever are, they're frankly really frustrated with, I think, how most teacher professional development currently exists. Right. I think all teachers can agree that educators, you know, too often were brought into the auditorium, the gym, the classroom, uh, now is now, now is Zoom. Um, and the PD that we sit through is not always relevant, um, not always differentiated to the number of years we've been in the classroom or the content we teach. It's rarely interactive. Um, and it's frankly what we would not want to model in our own classrooms as a way to communicate information yeah. um, and to empower empower a learner, right. um, whether that person's a teacher or a student. Um, so from my daily conversations with teachers, I can say that um, I think it was the Gates Foundation who released some information when they're absolutely right when they say that teachers are craving professional development that treats them like professionals. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that since tensions are higher this year, you know, we have so many questions about what school will look like, how will students be engaged, and for many, how how we can be teachers and parents in one space at one time. Um, 
it's only natural then that these pre-existing frustrations around professional development are even higher right, right now. And, you know, I mean, you, you talk about an issue. I obviously spend a lot of my time working with folks who are trying to make some of these decisions school and district wide. And one of the challenges, right, is you can't do stuff all that quickly. It's like, you know, when you don't know whether or not schools are going to open and all this uncertainty, it leads to kind of swift decision making that inevitably we know is going to to have a really negative impact on teachers, right? Like if suddenly your LMS switches and and you're using Canvas instead of Google Classroom, or like suddenly you're going from hybrid to full remote, like those are things that require a lot of forward planning. And it's just the nature of the moment, right? So when folks are out there wondering, like, is everyone else as stressed as I am? I think you can confidently say like, the answer is yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes, they are. And that goes all the way from, you know, superintendent, all the way down to, you know, student. And and that's the reality. I, yeah, I was, I was talking to a teacher in Oregon today and um, she was, she was so Zen. And I, I, I looked at her and I was like, you know, how are you doing? And she's like, I just don't think it's hit me yet. I'm not, I know, I know I'm unusually calm compared to, compared to my colleagues. And I just, you know, I said like, I want to bottle up what you have and just give it to all the other teachers I talk to. Right. Absolutely. And you know, one of the things too, that I think it has been sort of interesting about the moment is this idea of like, back in the spring, folks were just like, how do I get through the day? How do I just do my best to be like, hey, kids, are you okay? Mm-hmm. And maybe touch on some content. Yeah. But, you know, every single teacher became a teacher because they want to cultivate mastery and they want to build connections with students. So there's only so long, right, where you personally as an educator feel comfortable with just like trying to make it through the day. So I think teachers, because of how much they care about their craft, are now asking themselves like, no, I want to achieve like mm-hmm. the level of mastery that I want to cultivate. I want yeah. to be able to build those communities. And I think the really tough part about the reality of the situation is you have to make some concessions. And I've always said teachers are harder on themselves than anyone else. So it's really hard as a teacher to kind of look yourself in the mirror and say like, yeah, I love building a collaborative classroom, but maybe my classroom isn't going to be quite as collaborative this year as it was last year. Yep. Or, you know, I love being data-driven teacher and having personalized conversations with based on student need, but maybe that's going to happen 25% of the time that it used to happen last year. And I, I, I think it highlights one of the most beautiful parts about teaching that whether we're doing this in our physical classrooms or we're doing this through a screen, it, teaching is beautiful because we always get another shot at it. Right. You know, there's always the next class, the next unit, the next semester, the next school year. We get it. We get another shot at it, and um, and I think that I think you're absolutely right. I think a lot of teachers are saying, "Okay, um, it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be what it was, but how can we improve? Yeah, how can we improve uh, distance learning?" That's right, and that's a much better position to be in than than in the spring. Yeah, um, but again, I can't stress enough. Like there are concessions that have to be made across the board, and if you're worried about making those concessions, I think you should, you know. As an educator, just think more about creating a healthy balance and, and being reasonable about your own goal setting, right? Like, yeah. don't expect things to look like they did pre-COVID right now. Yeah. Uh, it's just not possible. Um, and the closer you get to that, great. But also don't be too hard on yourself when, you know, it doesn't feel that way. And that's critical. Now, one of the biggest pain points, and, and I don't blame folks, by the way, for this pain point at all. I mean, I don't blame people for any of the pain points. But this one is is pretty tricky to think about, which is like, how do you use live class time? Now, you know, we at the organization, the Modern Classrooms Project, obviously deeply value the val- like asynchronous learning. Um, but one of the one of the things that people often 
have a misconception about our models. They think we're somehow trying to replace like collaborative whole group experiences, which is not what we want to replace. We love those things. What we want to replace is those compliant based experiences, right? Everyone sit down and we're going to start talking at you. And your job during this time is to take notes and maybe answer one question or two questions, right? Those are the experiences we try to replace. But we really love the labs, the Paideia seminars. Yeah. We love that stuff. So now suddenly, right, teachers aren't in the classroom with people and they have live sessions. And we think live sessions are important, but we got to use those live sessions right. And one of the things folks are constantly wrestling with is like, how do I use these live sessions? You know, my school or district rightly so in some cases, are saying, hey, you need to, you know, have some time with the kids live, whether it's, you know, twice a day or scheduled perfectly from, you know, like, like you're in school, but in Zoom. So can you talk a little bit about like this particular challenge, your thoughts on this, what you're seeing, what folks are doing? Yeah, I think first I'll, I'll, I think it's, it's an interesting question in terms of like why this is a pain point, this question of how to use live class time versus the asynchronous time. And I think it's challenging because I hear teachers, especially in Title I schools, who don't necessarily know what their attendance is going to look like. Um, They're concerned that students may not be able to log on to a synchronous session because the um, singular or the the two devices in the household are being used by other siblings at 11 a.m. on Tuesday because they also have to log on to a synchronous session at 11 a.m. on Tuesday, or the home's internet connection isn't strong enough to support multiple Zoom sessions or Google Hangouts that the siblings would be on, um, or students may simply be working or taking care of family members. And so I hear a lot of teachers say, how, how can I effectively plan and use live sessions if I only have three of my 25 students consistently logging on? Um, and then I hear the inverse from teachers, and I hear... Um, how can I effectively use a live session in a meaningful way in a whole group discussion or in a review of content? If um, I have 25 kids on the call, how do I ensure equity of voice and engagement? Um, And I think that there's, you know, I think you, you, you brought it up when you say, yeah, of course, our, our model of leveraging instructional videos to enable students to self pace and then be graded for mastery creates an organic path for meaningful asynchronous and synchronous learning. Right. So of course at modern classrooms, we're going to recommend that teachers structure their courses during distance learning to be self-paced just like we would in a physical classroom. Right. So students access instructional video for lesson B when they have proven mastery on lesson A. Um, And while it might be tempting or easy to lecture or deliver content in that live synchronous session, that's not really equitable or engaging or realistic. Um, What we'd rather see, what we would encourage teachers to use those, um, those amazing synchronous sessions for collaborative activities, you know, discussions, community building activities, social emotional check-ins, which are going to be so important um, at the beginning of this school year with everything you know, with everything the world is facing right now, um, small group instructions using breakout rooms, review games, you know, our teachers are finding amazing tools and creative strategies for how to structure live sessions with meaningful discussions with breakout room deliverables that students are responsible for sharing out after, you know, 15 minutes in a breakout room, um, and sharing protocols. And we can definitely feature some of those in a document that we've put out, um, 
Kareem, you can tweet it out or we can put it in the call notes. Um, but I think that, I think that it's a, it's a, it's a tension. It's a question that teachers are struggling with. Part of it's because we just don't know what it's going to look like until, until the, until the virtual school year opens. Yep. And I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that this like talks about, so I think there's like kind of two ways to think about this. I mean, I think at first kind of with this idea of concessions, like understanding that it's just harder to facilitate a great discussion with 25 kids when they're all sort of like pixelated on a screen is just like a fundamental <laughs> reality. Like you're not going to be able to achieve the same like sort of vibe that you get from yeah. the in-person experience. But I also think it really forces us all to to think about what a discussion is, what a collaborative experience is in the classroom and how you get to student participation. What I always kind of tell folks is like, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to disengage digitally than it is in person, right? Of course. And, and still, I think, you know, in a lecture format, like a lot of times it's very easy to disengage in person too, right? But if I'm a student who's anxious about sharing my ideas or uncomfortable and so on and so forth, like the, the Zoom environment or Microsoft Teams or whatever tool you're using to video conference, like I'm even more inclined, right, to avoid sort of yeah. exercising my voice. And we just wrote a piece that we published in Edutopia about sort of this idea that one of the ways that you cultivate engagement in a live synchronous session is by ensuring that you equip kids with the ideas, the skills, the tools to actually engage in the conversation, like prepare the kids, right? It's very, it's one of the reasons why it's like fishbowl discussions are, are great formats, right? Because a lot of times like you give kids information before the discussion happens. Yep. So they're prepared. They have more yep. confidence and are able to communicate. We're setting them up for success. Exactly. And the same applies in the digital space, right? Don't expect to go on a live synchronous session and explain a new concept to kids and then have a bunch of kids like start talking. In fact, like what you're probably going to see is more extreme lack of equity of voice, right? Those, like those kids that are comfortable speaking up are going to absolutely dominate the conversation <laughs> yeah exactly i was talking to someone the other day about this with just like friends like you know every friend dynamic is different but if you bring a group of friends over a zoom call right now like the people who oftentimes are you know take up the most space in the conversation that seems to be magnified over zoom because like if you aren't the natural person who's super super outgoing in those moments or extrovert in those moments zoom makes it even harder for you to speak up yeah so I think really being like your live sessions are when they're best, when the asynchronous time is at its best. Exactly. One cannot happen with the other. And it's why I think a lot of folks flock to our model because I think they saw an opportunity there. Let's build the kids up, get them confident. They can, you know, they can pause and rewind their teacher through an instructional video that, that is embedded with, a, you know, check for understanding questions as they go. They have an assignment. They've proven mastery. Great. Now let's have the discussion. Right. Now let's do the breakout rooms. Absolutely. And on top of that, like if you run the model really well, like you have the data too. Yep. So you actually know like pre-converse, pre-live session, like yep. these six kids were able to execute this skill. These four kids struggle with this skill. So you know, like, you know, you're not going to put a kid on the spot who doesn't feel comfortable talking about something and also clearly struggled with a skill. You know, I've always said that that kind of concept in the in-person classroom is sort of tough, right? Like 
it's very difficult to get a kid who might be less inclined to speak up to then speak up about something they don't actually know about, right? It's just a hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. Bring that into the digital learning space and it, you know, it, it's just magnified again. Yeah. So I think that's critical as folks think you know, about this time and particularly about how to use the live sessions. The other thing I'd say is like content's important. Mastery is important. Tests matter. Like we're not here to debate whether or not- We are teachers. Yeah. But there's a crisis, like a global crisis going on. Kids are struggling socially and emotionally. They've been isolated. Many of them probably have family members who have been you know, struggling with the virus or they know people who have. So let's not forget, right, that like one of the reasons that all of us came to the teaching profession was to connect with kids. And if you don't kind of remember that and you get lost in like, oh, no, my kids have to learn all the standards in seventh grade science or else, then you might run the risk of using those live sessions to really cram content home and forget that that's just not what's needed right now. When instead we need to we need to take a beat. We are, as you mentioned, we're in the midst of a literal pandemic. We are facing an economic recession that has put far too many people, um, out of their, out of, out of work, out of homes. Um, you know, we are reckoning with some long overdue, uh, questions and kids are, kids are smart. Kids are intuitive and they are, they are participating and they are watching. And it's a, while these are challenging times, uh, they are filled with opportunity. And as, as educators, we need to be remembering that we might be, you know, we can, we can put it under the, the, the ed friendly term, social, emotional learning. Um, but it's checking in on how real people are doing. Yeah. And like human beings operate on a priority structure, right? Like, yes, you know, I can assure you the student that I was like, if I was, if I was a student during COVID-19 and someone tried to get on me for not doing a math problem, and I was a math teacher and I loved the math, I'd sort of be like, are you aware of what like is going on right now? Right. And we have to be understanding of kids, right? Like kids are going to be like, where's our priority structure here? Like, are we talking about the social justice issues or the actual crisis that's happening, either the economic crisis or the actual virus? Or are we going to be obsessed with content? And that's not to say we can't focus on content. We have to focus on content. That's one of our priorities as education system is to make sure that our students get to learn the skills that give them opportunities in the future. But We also have to be delicate about appreciating like where people's heads are at and also understanding how we can ensure that we meet those kids' needs and social emotional learning is going to be more important than ever before and harder to cultivate. And, and what, where I feel again, modern classrooms teachers are going to be at an advantage in that we can, we have the comfort of, we know how to design quality instructional videos that students can asynchronously access. So we can use those synchronous sessions to address, again, some of these social emotional needs. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the last thing I'll say, particularly on the live versus synchronous session point, because I just, I don't think you can talk about this concept without talking about equity. The truth of the matter is not everyone can jump on the live synchronous session. Yep. And I mean, we can talk about devices, but even if your school or district's one-to-one or got the devices or philanthropists were able to kind of fund these like mass rollouts, like internet doesn't work all the time. It's not just about the devices. Right. Internet doesn't work all the time. You're not always in a quiet place. Yep. If you live in a house where there's a lot of, you know, folks that are living there with a lot of priorities, not to mention like people have new responsibilities, right? Like 
kids are not able to go to daycare. So maybe an older brother or sister has to take care of their little one while a live synchronous session is going on. So you have a real equity issue when you think about, I use the live session for information that can only be accessed at the live synchronous yep. session. Right? That is a fundamental problem because inevitably, like most things that don't work all that great in education, it's going to disproportionately affect the students most in need. And we have to think hard about that. So, you know, that's also something that I just think folks need to really think about. And and my general rule of thumb, if I was doing it right now, and what I tell folks is don't say anything in a live synchronous session that kids won't be able to access later. Like, you know, obviously you can't like save the community building and just like, you know, package it into a four minute video or something like that. But when we think about really like this kid needs to know this information to do the next task in this classwork, that can't just happen in a live session. Exactly. Exactly. Um, let's talk a little bit about the kind of silver linings of the moment. Because, you know, and it's hard to even, like, I, you, you probably heard me slow down when I say that. Because, like, to talk about silver linings in a moment like this just doesn't even feel all that right. But I, I think it's important to recognize some of the incredible work that educators are doing right now. Yeah. And some of the ways that that incredible work can have a longstanding impact. Yeah, And that's not to say, obviously, that the moment is not incredibly challenging, but I think there's things going on right now that is actually going to potentially have a positive impact on both teacher practices, student practices, and, and, and education long term. It's interesting. My my mom, you know, the taught for 41 years, always said, you know, we too often we ask our teachers to to do the impossible. And you know what? Most of the time they do. Most of the time, they step up and deliver. Um, I think you're right. I think we're seeing some really, some really inspiring, um, inspiring work coming from educators across the country right now. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the first one I'll talk about is sort of like exposure to tech. You know, I think I always think back to when I was a, a classroom teacher, and like there were incredible teachers in the building who did not use tech, either they didn't have access or they didn't feel the need to. And it was so inspiring. In many ways, I was like envious of them because I'd walk into their classroom and be like, I have no idea how you can create a classroom this well without leveraging these tech tools to really be able to build an efficient environment where I feel like I can cultivate this. But what I'm seeing a lot of is folks who didn't really have much exposure to effective implementation of tech tools in the classroom are suddenly having to expose themselves to it and then seeing the value. Mm-hmm. Like, are you seeing some of that in the teachers that you work with? Oh, like this idea, yeah. like this tech world is now, it's like opening folks' eyes to what can be done with tech. And, and what's, what's great about it is it, um, it's teachers of all ages. It's teachers who um, are, are fresh out of their teacher training programs and, you know, bright-eyed 23-year-olds. And it's, it's teachers who are nearing the end of their career, teachers who are baby boomers and perhaps were not the digital natives and um, thought they would be comfortable navigating all this technology. They're absolutely rising to the occasion and learning. Yeah. And what's super cool about that, by the way, is like they often produce some of the best content, right? They have so much experience. Oh, yeah. And the bar- they're realizing a lot of times that, you know, these tools aren't as hard as they once thought they were and they have real upside. And the upside is not short term. The upside is actually long term. The upside is like, and we've said this with the model, like we don't even accept school and district contracts if the purpose isn't to build out this model long term. Like, Do not come to us and ask us to train your teachers just for the moment. 
We want folks who really buy into the upside of the model long term. And I think you're seeing folks really see that. You know, the number of times I've spoken to teachers being like, oh, I'm not ever teaching the way I used to. Yeah. (laughs) It's never going to happen again. Yeah. I think it also, it's also highlights, you know, it highlights why we as modern classroom educators were using technology in the first place. We weren't using it because, oh, it was cool and shiny. We were using it to enhance good teaching and make it more equitable and to make it self-paced and mastery based because we really, we wanted kids, we wanted kids to get it. Yeah. And, you know, one of the, the the kind of nuanced realities I think about remote teaching and learning and just like online instruction is it forces people to think about learning as being more student-centered. Yes. Now, this is something that you you hear, I mean, in most school buildings, pre-COVID, post-COVID, like, doesn't matter. Everyone was like, it's got to be student-centered. I remember hearing that and being like, I don't really know what you're talking about. And then we started to build the modern classrooms model kind of in response to that. Like all these people telling me to be student-centered and no <laughs> one's giving me a way to do it. And I was getting frustrated. But I think what online kind of remote virtual teaching does, is it says like, look, you're not going to be near your students as much as you'd like to be. So whether you like it or not, your students have to control more of the learning experience. So it's a little bit of a trial by fire to say like, hey, Kids need to control their own learning experience. Teachers need to plan learning experiences where that's possible. And hopefully students can rise to the occasion and handle that. So I think that's a really important silver lining because a lot of times I hear this idea that like kids aren't developmentally ready to drive their own learning. (sighs) And probably my least favorite critique of both our model, but kids in general. Mm -hmm. This notion that somehow kids are not capable of like driving learning is just like almost comical, right? Like, and people know this. And I think when you take a step back and think about it, it's so obvious because just like watch a very, very young kid, like preschool and younger sit in a room with some toys, right? Like you can see how much they're learning. You literally don't need to do anything. They're just like growing and learning. And I remember watching the first kindergarten teacher we ever trained. And I even came in with preconceived notions about like, what are kindergartners going to be able to do with this model? And I walked in and I remember, I think I texted you right after and I was like, oh yeah, you sent me amazing pictures. Yeah. I was like, these kindergartners are better at student-centered learning than my 12th graders. (laughs) And it's not because my 12th graders didn't know how to be student-centered. I actually think it was because our education system conditions kids to by the end not be in control of their own learning so this idea about developmentally ready really is to me nonsense that doesn't mean you don't build more scaffolds depending on grade levels and more structures of course of course like a kindergarten is very different than 11th grader we 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 can guide and we can facilitate and we can build meaningful structures but the goal i mean what's the old saying the goal of a good teacher is to make themselves increasingly less necessary to student learning that's exactly right, right? The less involved we can be, the better. And I think this is a powerful time to think about that. Uh, you know, and I think just generally speaking, people are thinking more about sort of moving things forward from an innovation standpoint, right? Like you have to innovate to handle the moment. Yep. And when you do that, some of the innovations are just for the moment, right? Like we're doing this just to survive and then we're going to go back to normal. I'm not a huge believer that like in 2023, like there's not going to be brick and mortar school buildings. Like I I don't think, I think that's a bit silly, right? Yeah. But I think there are going to be real evolutions that happen at the classroom level 
um, that matter a lot and that accelerate some of the innovation that I think a lot of us have been hoping for. And I think, you know, it's important to think about those. And I mean, I, honestly, I think it's a great way to end our conversation today because, you know, in the end, the stress levels that people are feeling should not go unnoticed. Educators, you all are working so, so incredibly hard. Everyone is struggling, but you all are innovating in ways I continue to be shocked. I mean, if if the data isn't supportive enough that 15,000 educators have joined our free course just to learn, like no one's making them, I think it speaks a lot to you know what we're seeing across the board. I, I find it really interesting right now. I find myself kind of thinking back to the grad school readings, like, you know, John Dewey, uh, you know, ed, ed reformer of the early 20th century who talked about how education is a social process. Um, education is not preparation for life, but life itself. And I think that we are finding in this public health crisis, we are stepping back and we are appreciating that education is a social process. Education is, is life itself. And this belief that schools can be vibrant and social and democratic spaces. And we're going to carry that in that attitude. You know, we're going to carry that appreciation when we can go back to the physical schools, when we reopen, Yeah, we're going to, I think, appreciate moments that yes, the hallways are crazy during transition or yes, there's a steady stream of students coming for after school help and we're exhausted. Um, but it, we're going to appreciate that when, you know, when we reopen. But I also think that it's going to cause us to reimagine schools as those vibrant, safe, social democratic spaces physically and virtually as well. And teachers are, man, this August PD, especially this August professional development time, like you all are doing such amazing work and it's going to pay off. It's going to pay off when our schools physically reopen, but it's going to pay off in the next couple of weeks when our schools virtually reopen. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's really well said. And, you know, as, as two leaders of this organization who get the wonderful privilege of working with teachers all day long, I can tell you how hard everyone's working and also how stressed everyone is. So understand that you're not alone. And, you know, what better way to kind of do a lead in into one of our cool end of segments, our love from our teacher segment. You know, it makes me smile to think about this teacher. Um, Teresa Bruce was one of our DC based fellows. I honestly she's grew Baltimore. She's Baltimore. Yeah. She made me want to go back into the classroom <laughs> yeah. because of how impressive she was. I was like, well, man, I wish I could go back in there. And she left us an audio message just sharing sort of the impact that our work has had on her and how she's feeling currently. Hi, everyone. My name is Teresa Bruce, and I am a current eighth grade social studies teacher in Baltimore, Maryland, working for the amazing Baltimore City public school system, hashtag Team City Schools. Um, and what I really liked about my modern classroom professional development experience was being able to work with a mentor who was knowledgeable and accessible. I really enjoyed learning from my peers. Um, the application of learning new instructional technology was a plus. Uh, and it was also really cool for me to make my own teacher videos for student use. If I could tell fellow teachers uh, one thing about this training, I would say just do it. It's what's missing in our current education system. You know, this model truly seeks to address all learners. If I could tell administrators one thing about this training, I would say let's invest. It's now the time to push our students and our teachers forward with 21st century learning. Our school community deserves it. 
Oh, Teresa. <laughs> I know, right? I can just feel her energy. I wish I, I wish she was like a colleague of mine that I could speak to every day. I feel like she'd put a smile on my face every single day. And I know she's going to do it for her students. It's so funny. When she sent that, I, I, I emailed her back. I was like, thank you so much for this. Also, this is such a testament to 2020. Hearing this makes me, hearing your voice just makes me miss you so much. That's right. That's right. I wish we could <laughs> hang out with her. She's such a rock star. I'm so excited to see how our class is going to go. And, you know, I think that'll close us out for the day. Remember, everyone, that you can always learn more about our work at www.modernclassrooms.org. You can learn our model for free at learn.modernclassrooms.org. That's where our free course is at. 15,000 plus educators are in there. We try not to hold anything back from you all. So all of our tools, our resources, our content's free. It's available. Just check it out, learn. That's where you should go. I promise you it'll be valuable. And if you don't find it valuable, just close it and never come back. Um, <laughs> you can also follow us on Twitter. Um, the Modern Classrooms Project Twitter is at Modern Class Proj. I'm at Kareem Farah 23 And now new to Twitter <laughs> is Kate Gaskill. She's at Gaskill underscore teacher. Be nice to her. She was afraid of the giant world of Twitter. I'm terrified of social media. Follow her, chat with her, prove to her that Twitter is actually a powerful place for professional learning. And last but not least, if you're interested in more comprehensive support, remember that we do have a virtual mentorship program where folks like Kate can be your mentor. She'll walk you through sort of the model, provide you feedback and assignments and all that good stuff. It's always available. We work with individual teachers, but in large part, we're working with schools and districts. We enroll groups of educators into our program who want to learn our model. Thank you all for listening. It is a joy to share our ideas with you. Look out for episode four. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.